One of the first steps in designing a disaster recovery plan is figuring out where you're going to recover once disaster strikes. If your data center or computing environment gets attacked by ransomware, swallowed up in a hurricane or a sinkhole, you better have an alternate site lined up to restore your operations. We're going to explore the details of the three main options most companies have for their disaster recovery site, including rolling your own setup, third-party DR services, and leveraging the public cloud. Each approach has its own pros, cons, risks, and costs. How do you keep a DR site in sync? What happens if a regional disaster takes down the recovery provider? Can the cloud scale to meet your DR needs? In this episode, we answer all of these questions and more. If this is your first time joining us, hi, I'm W. Curtis Preston, AKA Mr. Backup. I was a backup admin just like you for many years. And then I started helping other organizations design their backup and DR plans. Now I'm using this podcast to turn unappreciated backup admins into cyber recovery heroes. This is the Backup Wrap-Up. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, and with me, I have the most flexible co-host in the podcast world. How's it going, Prasada? I'm good, Curtis. Yeah, uh, we did have some logistics issues today or this week. So uh, why don't you tell folks where you're at? Yeah. Yeah. So logistics being, I didn't realize I was going to be nowhere near where I normally record anything. And so I happen to actually be at PodFest right now, which is a trade show designed specifically for podcasting. And I will say that that is why there's background noise that you're not used to hearing. So if, if this is a little noisy, I apologize for it. We'll do our best to trim that out. But I'm sitting here with a lot of Lear on, uh, and I can see in my immediate view, there's like, I don't know, a hundred people are around me as I try to record a podcast episode. And by the way, I want to do a big thanks to GoBox Studio. I, I, I'm going to take a picture of this uh, setup that I have here. So this is a unit that you can buy to do podcasting literally absolutely anywhere. So yeah, so that's what we're doing. We're doing. You uh, might need one like, next time when you start traveling. Yeah. As I was walking around, I was like, hey, any chance I could use your cool setup? And he said, sure. And, I was, and so <laughs> I said I would mention the product. It's GoBox Studio. It's great. And then, and then I called you and then I said, hey, do you want to record a podcast like in five minutes? <laughs> you said, you said <laughs> okay. Well, that's why I'm yeah. saying, you know, thanks for thanks for your flexibility. No, I'm glad you were able to find a uh, space and some gear, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We're continuing in our backup to basics series. Today, Woo-hoo! we're talking about build, build, <laughs> building a recovery site. We're, of course, continuing to work through our book, uh, Modern Data Protection, and uh, that you can get. Oh, there he goes. Each of us hold up our copy. And... um. We're starting to talk about DR, right? We talked about, uh, before we talked about, the, you know, building, uh, coming up with what's in a DR plan, what's not in a DR plan. We also talked about RTO and RPA, right? And, and RPO and RPA. And now if you're going to do a disaster recovery, if you're going to recover from a disaster, what will you need, Prasanna? You need some place to recover too. 
Yeah, exactly. You need what we call a recovery site, right? The idea is that you 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 must obviously like this should this should be obvious, but this is a backup to basic <laughs> section. So uh, when the disaster strikes, right? You've got a massive flood. You've got a fire. You've got an earthquake. I grew up in Florida. A sinkhole could take your entire data center. Um, you you cannot assume that your data center will be will be available for you when you go to do a disaster. Um, can you think? Can you remember a little story from our friend that was in uh, the Caribbean? Yeah, he basically an island nation in the Caribbean that got hit by a hurricane. And then uh, lost power, lost internet connectivity back to the mainland, uh, tons of damage. And they were trying to bring up their remote office that was on the island. And it couldn't connect back up to the mainland because that's where they had all of their active directory and other services. So nothing could come online, even though they had the people that they flew in from the mainland on site, but they couldn't become operational until they got a whole bunch of other things up and running. Yeah, exactly. And they did what the, the first of what we're going to talk to three different options that you can do for a recovery site, um, which is to build your own, right? So they had, as I recall, they had three different physical locations on the island, right? And so they chose one as their recovery site. Does that sound about yeah. right? Yep, that was right. So the uh, so the first option, there are three different options. The first option is to roll your own DR site. And uh, I'm sure you've seen people do oh, yeah. this quite a bit. Yep, exactly. When I used to work at other storage vendors, well-known names, um, there were a lot of companies who would say, yes, I am going to have a production environment stood up in one data center, and I'm going to buy either the exact same configuration or something very similar and put it in another data center that I own or that I'm leasing in another location. Sometimes it is within the same campus, if you will. So it's close by. Sometimes it's further away, depending on what they are right. looking to recover from. Sometimes they might have multiple disaster recovery sites, depending on the type of location. Sometimes they might have multiple disaster recovery sites, depending on the type of disaster that occurs. Right. If they're a multi-state, uh, multi-county, multi-whatever you know, whatever they call it in other countries, then they could potentially use the other parts of the country as their recovery site, right? They, they use like, so in our case, let's say we have uh, California and Florida, right? And uh, two states I picked just because I used to live there. <laughs> um, the, you know, your, your recovery site for California could be in Florida and vice versa. Right? You know, that would be really um, bad in one it. scenario. Do you know what scenario that is? Uh, what would it, which one? Having both sites in on the coast. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, actually, you know that you you the, you know that you bring that up. Uh, I did work at a company that had their recovery sites. They did the they built their own, and they had their recovery sites in two different places. They had um, one of them was in a data center in Dallas. And the other was in the basement of the World Trade Center building, right? And uh, this is pre-9-11. And there was a freak snowstorm in Dallas that took out that data center. 
and this was the week of the uh, bombing of the that happened in the World Trade Center. So basically, two things happened uh, at the same time, two completely unrelated things. Uh, sometimes that you know the best best laid plans. Um, so, but but that's what you can do, and you can have you know you can have the more sites you have, you can basically each site can take over for another site. The problem with that, though, is that we need extra hardware, yep. <laughs> right? We need we need uh, we need compute, we need storage, we need networking, and all of that costs money. Um, I'd say that's probably the biggest yep. and, downside to this, yeah. wouldn't you? The, well, and just going along with the money aspect, don't forget the people, right? That you're going to need right. on the other site in order to maintain it. And speaking of maintaining it, right. when you make a change in production say you roll out a new application or something else, you have to make right. sure that you're taking into consideration the ongoing costs on your disaster recovery site as well. So, Yeah, what, what I have seen is I've seen people uh, basically as they refresh hardware in the production site, they move the slightly older hardware to the uh, recovery site. And that's a perfectly valid way to do things. It's just, you, you know, you're right. You have to keep it up to date. Yeah. And it's, it's a bit weird because it's like, it's like maintaining a car that you never get to drive. (laughs) My car. You know what it is? I have have a better analogy. It's like me with the pool, right? That I have, right? I I always wanted a pool. Now there's a pool in the back of my yard, in my my backyard. And uh, no one ever goes in it. All I have to do is I'm the one that has to clean it, right? I have to clean yep. it and uh, and all of the things that 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 comes with the pool. Uh, I get to do all that work uh, for uh, zero <laughs> amount of joy. And so what what tends to happen is the site tends to get behind things, you know, and you don't really find out until you do a, a DR test. And uh, so that's um, – but I, I think just in short – the reason why most people don't do this is the cost of doing it, right? That they that they have to buy all the hardware. You have to get it in advance, yep. um, and all of that hardware has to be taken care of, and you know all of that stuff. Can you think of anything else that's a, like a downside of this method? Um, uh, that's pretty much it. Yeah, I think it's just uh, always sitting there, always like idle basically, like you said. Now, there are things you could do to keep it sort of more functional. You could use it for, say, doing your backups. I know some vendors and some companies like to do their backups off of their DR copy just because otherwise those resources are just sitting idle. And so that is one possible use of your DR site. And I know we've talked about sort of what can you do with copies before. So go back, listen to one of those episodes. Right. The one on copy data management. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, The next option that we have is this idea of uh, just like everything else, we have recovery sites as a service. And the idea here is that there is a place that will make sure that they have enough servers of a certain kind, enough storage of a certain capacity and and also uh, capability and of course, all of the networking equipment that you would need. And so that the idea is, uh, well, I'm just going to say, I was, I almost said something, but I'm going <laughs> to, the historical idea here is you show up with your box of tapes 
and then you do the recovery. So uh, I'm going to throw that out there as one of the challenges with recovery site as a service. What? Why might that be a challenge? Because you have the because of the time it takes to rebuild stuff, right? Was that what you were looking close? Well, so so in the old days, I would show up with a box of tapes. How do I do that now? Oh, you replicate the data. Right, which means that I need to have, right? So in addition to providing me hardware and so, or hardware and networking when I need it, they also have to provide me, I have to pay to, store. to basically keep yep. a copy of my replicated backups there, which will not be free. Yep. Yeah, and I know that there are multiple companies who look at recovery as a service, some of them pre-provision. I always worry about these companies. Like what happens if like the New York area gets wiped out and everyone's trying to fail over to their DR site in New Jersey and they yeah. under-provisioned in that scenario because they're not going to keep all that hardware around to guarantee no over-provisioning, right? So yeah, the, I'd say that the recovery site as a service model, that is its biggest Achilles heel, right? So the, the first is that, I mean, I mean, the good news is it's going to be less expensive than the first option, yeah. right? Because you're not, because you're not paying for, I mean, you could, I, I'm sure that, you know, and by the way, like an example of the kind of service that we're talking about is like SunGuard, right? Um, and that company has been around a really long time. And I, I think they've morphed actually over over the years to also do the third method that we're going to talk about but the you know they have to make money and so if they're going to maintain an identical you know amount of infrastructure that is dedicated to you that's the key yeah. dedicated to you then that's going to cost you a ton of money yep. it's it's essentially going to be more expensive than option 1 because you have the cost of option one plus their margin. Yep, exactly. <laughs> okay. So, so they're, they're going to do that. Um, the, uh, the- but what you're, but what you're describing from before is, I think, the more common model, and that is that you have paid for the ability to have a certain amount of infrastructure available to you in a disaster, and the risk is that a bunch of you have a disaster. Yeah. Right. And, 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 and it's not, it's not the same as the cloud where there is this seemingly infinite amount of infrastructure. You have a, you have an actual data center that is of a certain size that is meant to be, uh, you know, it was provisioned yeah. for a certain number of customers declaring a disaster at the same time. And then what happens when you have a, glo- not a global disaster, but a, a regional yep. disaster, takes out everything that I, I think that's, but, that's probably my biggest yeah. concern. But there. I think, and I know we'll talk about it when we talk about the third option, but honestly, I don't think that's any different than like a public cloud. It's just the scale is different, but we'll talk about that when we get to the third one. Uh, the one other comment I wanted to make, and I don't know if you have experience with this or not, Curtis is do they still allow you to do have like, the agility and flexibility of say my infrastructure is changing. How quickly can I push that out to my DR site 
or what's the process look like and how much of a lag is there? Yeah, I think that it's going to be the, the lag will be the same as what would happen if you did it plus some amount of time, yeah. <laughs> right? Again, it's, it's going to be the cost of what you did it plus uh, it's going to be the cost of what it would be for you plus their margin in terms of the lag time between production changes to changes in your recovery environment. It's going to be the same amount of time because it, co- it takes them the same amount of time to order servers as it does for you uh, plus some amount of time for them to sort of figure that all out, yeah. right? Um, and the the only thing that may not be a problem here is that they probably over provision their environment, right? I would hope so. So they they hopefully over provision their environment because if you need to, th- there have been times in the last year or two where you know a provisioning and an order of a new server is like ninety to one hundred and twenty days, yeah. right? So hopefully they've ordered stuff in advance and they always have extra, you know capacity, which is something that they can afford to do that you might not. And that's where the savings comes in. Again, that savings comes at a risk of, uh, you know, a run on the bank. Uh, Have you, please tell me you have seen, because, you know, I always, I know it's always with you and me. I bring up a movie and you're like, I have never seen that. Have you seen It's a Wonderful Life? Yes. Okay. All right. You remember the run on the bank that happens at the end? Yep. Yeah, that's basically what you and I are worried about, right? Is everybody coming up and wanting the resources all at once because it's a, a, a disaster. Do you do you know if when you go with the recovery as a service option, if all of the providers allow you to customize the hardware to what is there in production? So if I use yeah, a so particular I mean, vendor, yeah, would they allow me to use that? Or is it sort of here are your standard options, go forth? I think both of those are available, right? Every, you know, uh, this is business. Everything is negotiable, <laughs> right? You use our standard options and it costs you this much. Start customizing it and it starts and it starts costing more, yeah. right? Um, and so this is where the fact that most of us are running Wintel servers, right? really helps out. Yeah. Most of us are doing virtualization. Most of us are using, um, you know, uh, Broadcom. I think that's the new name of the, <laughs> of the company, right? And and so as long as you're sticking with sort of the standard things uh, from a hardware perspective, it's probably not a problem. But if you decide I've got to have vendor X, then, um, you know, uh, your cost is going to go up because they're going to buy that hardware just for you. Yeah again, plus margin, right? So um, I, I think it's, it's this is like every one of these choices, none of these are perfect for everyone, right? Let's talk about the third option. And, and, and I'm sure everybody knows what the third option is, and that is recover in the public cloud. And the idea here is that they have so much infrastructure that you can very easily on demand with little planning. I mean, you, you need to do planning, but it's not the same as with um, the recovery site as a service. And that is you um, 
you can at any time just literally press a button and you can do infrastructure as code and poof, you've got as many uh, virtualization servers or VMs or, uh, you know, RDBMSs that you need uh, and that you don't really, you know, within reason, you don't really have to do any planning ahead. You just have to make sure that your billing system works. Oh, you want to talk? Are you disagreeing with me? I just want, because there is a lot of misconceptions about the public cloud. Just remember, it's yeah. someone else's servers. You're just borrowing them, right? <laughs> yeah. And so yeah, if, say, an example is if you took AWS and they just didn't have the infrastructure to meet your DR needs in that region, then you may not be able to recover. So make sure that you have a conversation, especially if you're at that large of a scale, with your cloud provider to make sure that if you do need those resources, they're available because someone else may be using it. Yeah. And, and I guess that's what I meant by, I don't remember my exact words, but, but you need to do planning. You don't, what I'm saying is you don't need to do planning. Like we're going to declare a disaster Friday. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, even then it's not a bad thing to actually, if you're doing testing, I would do zero amount of notification yeah. to the cloud vendor. That's what yeah. I would do. And just to see how they respond, I, I guess you, you do need to do that type of planning. Yeah. Um, what I'm just saying is that you don't need to pre provision. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need to pre provision that they should have enough infrastructure and you can have those conversations. You say, listen, when we declare a disaster, we're going to need 50,000 VMs. Is that going to be a problem? And, the, and they're going to either going to go <laughs> 50,000. I thought you were going to say a million or, or they're going to say, uh, yeah, you should probably give us a call. Yeah. Right. Um, it, but I, I think that the response is probably going to be more the latter, yeah. right? And um, the, the other beautiful thing about the about the cloud is that, and this is not true on either of the other two options, is the cost. Because in order for a cloud DR system to work, you you need to have the the data there already, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and so you, you need to do you need to be backing up essentially to the cloud. But that's all you're paying for at that point. You're paying for the storage of the, you know, the amount of storage that you need from that cloud vendor, depending on how you're doing it. It could be block storage. It could be object storage. One, you know, the object storage is going to be the less expensive option. The block storage is going to be the ready to use it anytime you want it option. But the point is that because with with object storage, you're going to have to restore it to, to block storage. Right, so it's not going to be as quick as a restore if you, if you've essentially already restored your servers. But the beautiful thing is that you don't have to pay for the compute yep. until the time of uh, testing or declaring yeah. a disaster. One other thing to add to that that I think is a big advantage of the public cloud is I don't actually need the exact same resources compute wise on in the cloud for my testing as I do for production. So for testing, I might pick smaller instances, lower powered compute in order to do my testing because I don't need to spin up the beefy systems that I would need to actually run the production workloads. Yeah, that is a beautiful thing where, because again, you can't really do that in the first two options. You, You just sort of, you get what you get, right? You don't throw a fit. But here, 
you can say, look, I, I need, you know, I need an M4X large for production, but, you know, an M2 medium will do fine for my test. The performance isn't going to be great, but I'm not testing the performance. I'm testing the functionality of the recovery process. Uh, but, but I think, honestly, the, the greatest advantage here is going to be cost. Yeah. And I think that, and also that all of that infrastructure is available as code. What do I mean by that? Basically, you don't need to go around configuring things. You could code it all up, have it all available, and basically push a button and say, okay, go build me my environment, Base, right? All right. based on what you've already pre-configured, and it'll go do everything you need it to do. And you don't have to sit there and manually spin up things and provision, connect things with networks, go log into 20 different switches and environments in order to get everything up and running. Yeah, I mean, you know, we saw this at our previous employer, right? That that you can automate that, and that you can, assuming you did enough, you know, planning, uh, and you configured everything correctly, you should just be able to literally press a button, and then it configures everything that you need to do, just like you said. And then, just as magical, you can shut it all down, yep. right? And as soon as you shut it all down, the billing stops, yep. right? Um, and that, um, you know basically you just pay for the amount of time that that infrastructure was running, yep. which hopefully means which just isn't possible. Yeah. And that also hopefully means you can do testing more often because what do you like to say, Curtis? Yeah. Test, 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 <laughs> test. test. <laughs> yeah. Um, now I'm going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to argue with something that you said like 15 minutes ago. Okay. And that is, this is here's another thing that I like about the public cloud versus the recovery as a service. While it is true, the public cloud is not unlimited. What I can do in the public cloud that I can't really do with a DR as a service is I can pick whatever region I want to recover to. If I'm, if I'm a, you know, a business in New York, I will most likely pick uh, a, um, you know, like we talk about SunGuard, I will pick a SunGuard that's in New Jersey, right? You're going to pick something that is close by because you're most likely physically going to the place to make this happen. With the cloud, you're never going to see that data center. And so it doesn't matter where you pick it. Well, let me rephrase that. <laughs> it does matter where you pick it, but it doesn't have to be down the road, right? And so you're not going to have this... It, it, it significantly decreases the 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 worry that there's a flood in the general vicinity where you live, and it takes out all the businesses, and then it also takes out the you know but, the recovery site, and everybody's using the recovery site all at the same time. I'm just saying you can spread the load out. But even the recovery as a service, you could technically go from New York to Texas assuming that your recovery as a service provider is in Texas, replicate the data there. Yes, it is going to be more painful because you may not be on site, but it, it is true. Yeah, that is true. I, I guess, I guess I'm just thinking that generally speaking, these types of recoveries were done in person face to face. Yeah. yeah. And, um, just, I have this. Yeah. Yeah. And Go ahead. in your mind, I know Veeam has a lot of DR partners 
that can take Veeam backups and spin them up and use them for DR purposes. Would you consider that as option two, recovery as a service, or more in line with option three, even though we're using the word public cloud there? Yeah, I I think, you know, like, you know, you're talking about like cloud IVR, like those guys. I think that that is that is because you're you're generally you're using the public yeah. cloud as the underlying infrastructure, even if you're well, I, I think don't they all use the public cloud? They might have their Maybe own. They, they might have their own infra, but I think it's still more yeah. in line with the public but, cloud rather than the. Yeah, I, yeah, I think the way they behave it behaves more like the public cloud, um, and, and I like this right because it it doesn't require you to use a different piece of software for DR. I like this idea of using one piece of software to do to do both backup and DR. It saves a ton of money for the company as long as it meets your RTO and RPO requirements, yeah. right? Um, and it backs up all of the applications that you need to back up. Then, um, you know, it it's a great way to do yeah. it. Um, can you think of anything else that we... Like we haven't covered? No, I think that covers all the options. Well, there is a fourth option. All right. Which is... Dang it, there's no... I'm sorry, I'm looking in my book and I don't see a fourth option. Which is basically, you don't have a disaster recovery site and your host. Oh. <laughs> oh, okay. You had me worried there for a minute. Yeah, that is the fourth option. No recovery site, no backup, no plan, no joy. Um yeah, don't do that. Um, so I, I think if, if you can learn anything from, you know, what we've been covering is that plan, 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 test, test, test. And uh, also uh, update your software and have a good password management system <laughs> and have MFA, all of those things. And um, yeah, so now, you know, the, uh, what's the thing of, uh, uh, what's what's that old thing of like, the best time to plan something is yesterday. The next best time. Uh, is the today. second best time is today. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Something like that. There's some, uh, some thing like that. Well, anyway, fun as always, persona. Likewise, Curtis. All right, and I hope uh, you listeners enjoyed that. We do it for you, and uh, be sure to subscribe. We don't want you to miss any episodes. It's so much easier. It just pops up on your phone there. And uh, you can listen to our cheerful voices. That is a wrap. The Backup Wrap-Up is written, recorded, and produced by me, W. Curtis Preston. If you need backup or DR consulting, content generation, or expert witness work, check out BackupCentral.com. You can also find links from my O'Reilly books on the same website. Remember, this is an independent podcast, and any opinions that you hear are those of the speaker and not necessarily an employer. Thanks for listening.